What we're going to talk about today is uh, birthmarks, birthmarks of a disciple. And uh, I actually have a famous birthmark, you know, Mikhail Gorbachev, you know, he had that, uh, I think they called it a port wine uh, birthmark. I'm not sure why they called it that, you know, there's two kinds of uh, birthmarks, uh, pigmentation birthmarks and vascular birthmarks. They happen in different ways and different times. I'm not a birthmark expert, but there are a couple of family members. I won't say who, but um, one of the ladies in our family has a birthmark right here on her chest. And uh, one of our other family members (laughs) has a birthmark in another place. And we always called it the place where God kissed her and the angel kissed her, you know. Um, And it's, uh, there's a lot of superstition throughout the world about birthmarks. There's some cultures, whole Asian and European and and, uh, Oriental cultures that believe if you have a birthmark on your right side or your right arm, that you're going to be wealthy. And they put a lot of weight on that. And if you have it on the other side, (laughs) sucks to be you, you know, it's like (laughs) you're going to be poor, you know. Uh, But we're not here to talk about superstitions and stuff like that, even though they're kind of fun sometimes to to think about. Um, We're talking about... If you're born a God, if you're born again, if you are heaven born and heaven bound and heaven blessed, do you have enough evidence to convict you? (laughs) If you arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? You know, that's kind of the idea that the apostle John gets into in this letter of 1 John. If you haven't yet and want to turn there in your Bible or on your device to 1 John chapter 2. And we're just going to deal with 3 through 10, kind of that section in there. And think about the fruit in people's lives. The, uh, we're told not to judge, but we are told to be fruit inspectors. You've heard that before, haven't you? you know, we're to, the Bible says, by their Fruit, you will know them. The fruit of someone's life shows what's going on on the inside. You can't always tell what's going on on the inside, but the fruit of their life will tell in great detail. Now, someone could bring the bark of a tree to you and say, what is this? And you'd go, I don't know, it's bark. Maybe if you were a highly uh, studied expert, herbologist or something, you might know what the bark... Maybe they bring a leaf to you. I mean, leaves are a little more identifiable. If someone brings a pear leaf to me or an apple, I would know maybe a little bit. But when someone brings the fruit, <laughs> you go, that is an apple. Are, are you with me in that? You know the tree by its fruit. Fruit. That's biblical. That's biblical. And the application is... You'll know what's going on on the inside of your life. You'll know what's going on in your faith, in your trusting of God, and your leading a life of, of, of grace under him by the fruit that you bear, by the way that your life works out, by the birthmarks. Are you heaven-born? What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? You must be born again. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You've got to be heaven born. And if you're heaven born, you're 
heaven bound. And if you're heaven bound, he says you're heaven blessed. Life isn't just to be a someday off there in the here by and by. It's to be in the joyful here and now. Okay? He's given us fruit to bear, lives to live in the joyful here and now. You know, everybody talking about heaven isn't going there. Jesus said there were people that said to him, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that? And Jesus said, I don't even know you. You know? I think of this, uh, all people don't speak the truth. There's some weird ideas out there. This guy comes to the, um, the doctor. He's in the doctor's office. And the doctor's uh, attendant comes in and says, hey, uh, there's a guy in the waiting room and he, he believes he's invisible. And he, he wants to be seen. Well, go tell him we can't see him. <laughs> you know, people make up all kinds of things, don't they? That's really bad, isn't it? Tell him he can't be seen. <laughs> yeah, you got to watch out for what people say versus what is real. Okay? There's a lot of people talking about, I am a believer. I am a Christian. But they don't always walk the walk that they talk. Okay? That's really what we're thinking and talking about today. In fact, three different times in this passage, the Apostle John will nail. If someone says this, but does this, he's a liar. If someone says this and it doesn't follow through with action, he's walking in darkness. If somebody said, three times he says, if we say, whoever says, you know, talking is easy. Walking's not so easy. Talking can be faked. Walking is hard. Fruit cannot ultimately uh, be faked. When your walk doesn't match your talk, you can't be seen either. <laughs> you know. Now, there's sometimes uh, caricatures of Christianity. We, we get down to what's the essence. And uh, for some people, they think Christianity is behavior modification. Okay? Just modifying your behavior. If you act as... Really, being a Christian is not just about behavior modification. That may happen, and the fruit will tell when a behavior is modified, but that alone is not all there is. Some people think of a Christian as just a, a negative person. There's all the don'ts. There's all the things you can't do, all the reasons. And, you know, think of God as a, a cosmic killjoy. You know, he's always stomping on all the fun we might have, you know. Some people, they just think about a Christian and a believer as someone who is living in the future. They're, of, they're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Okay? And, and we're not talking about any of those. We're talking about bringing those together. Our heavenly mindedness, our being born of heaven bound, <laughs> and being heaven blessed now. Bringing those down into a reality that shows us. Let's, let's just take the passage now and let's just read it together its entirety and then we'll tear it apart. Does that sound good? We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, that's the first one. Whoever says, 
I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him, in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, verse 7, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And anyone who claims, there's the third one, anyone who says to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Let's just pause for a prayer over that. Father, thank you for showing us your word today. Thank you for the examples you've given in this of of how we might bear fruit in our lives. Illuminate our minds, Lord. Show us how we might change, how we might grow, how we might become more like Jesus. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's tear this apart. I've kind of made three uh, distinctions here about birthmarks, okay? Things that you can tell whether you're born of God, heaven born or not. The first one is it has to do with allegiance or submission to the lordship of Christ. Submission to the lordship. It's something that we don't always focus our attention on. A lot of times we like to focus on the saviorhood of Jesus but not necessarily on the lordship of Jesus. There was a time in the 70s when I remember people said, don't worry about the lordship of Jesus. Just have people make decisions. Just make a decision for Jesus. Get them saved, quote unquote, and then we'll worry about the lordship. But in biblical terms, those things come closely together. Remember what God says about the lordship of Jesus? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Acts 16, 11. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Confess with your mouth he's Lord and believe in your heart. And that results in salvation. The Lordship of Jesus cannot be separated from the salvation portion of Jesus. They are together. And they come in a package. So this verse, verse three really um, says that. We know we have come to know him if we keep his commands. This word know, I think I've talked about this a little bit. It's the word gnosko. And it has this uh, oppositional group out there called the Gnostics who believe they had a special knowledge. And so the apostle John is really digging into, if you want to know him, you, 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 you follow it out with your life. It's not about a head thing. It's not a knowledge-based knowing. You know him by your behavior. You know him by following through. You know him by action. And I call it the, the lordship factor. Can you tell by your life that you are a Christian, that you are a disciple, that you are a follower of Christ? Here it says, if we claim to know him but don't follow through with our actions, what are we? A liar. 
You can't claim to know God and divorce yourself from his life, from what he's about. So we're not talking about, oh, I made a decision once, back in such and such a year when I was this old, I made a decision, or even I got baptized. You know, baptism's important and a good thing, but it's not about a date on the calendar. It's not about a decision just that you've made. Decisions are good starting points, but it's not a good ending point. We're talking not about a decision, but a direction. If the direction of your life doesn't matter, that's why he says repent. Because it's not just a decision, it's a direction. What's the direction and the focus of your life? If the focus of your life is still, I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, I'll deal with God another time. You're not yet at the point he's saying to be here. You don't know him. You are not in him. Look what he says in verse 4. I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. See, what God wants to do with you and I is show people the love of God by our direction and our behavior. He wants us to be on display Displaying the lordship of Christ. Titus 1.6 says, They profess to know God. What's it say? Their deeds deny him. Their behavior shows they don't know God. Being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Oh, whoa, you don't want to be in that category, huh? No. In this passage, um, the word know and knowing him in, in uh, this portion is used 42 times. I mean, this whole passage is full of knowing him. Not knowing him like a, reading a list of his qualities, but knowing him like a husband knows his wife. This is the word for know that it says, Adam knew Eve. And you know what comes next? And she conceived and bore a son. Kind of go, oh, we're talking about intimate acquaintance. Not in a physical way, but that passage does show. He knew her in totality. That's the knowing we're talking about here. Not a set of qualities or attributes. Oh, I know God. He's holy. He's just. He's good. It's good to list the words, but more important is to know him. To know him as a person, to be intricately connected to him. Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I have taught you, the things I've commanded you? Many will come on that day and say, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not heal people in your name? Did we not speak? He says, I, I, I didn't know. You, you held yourself back from me. You were doing some good things, but you missed the most important aspect. And that is submission to his lordship. Submission to who he is. So knowing him, let's flip to the next one. Obeying him. Obeying him. He who obeys his word. You see, so many people, so many people look at God's word and it's like, 
oh, you know, he's going to restrict me from doing what I want. Or he's going to make me do stuff I don't want to do. And I, no, when you love God's word, when you embrace it and you say, no, I want to do what he wants. I'm eager to do what he says. I want to obey and grow in his word. Obeying him, verses 3 and 4, is all about keeping his commandments. He says, there are not a lot of commandments here. They boil down to just a few. Is the desire in my heart to obey or to disobey? To grow in him or to fail to grow in him? Jesus said, third one, loving him. So what have we got? We've got knowing him, obeying him, and loving him. And they make the package of the lordship. As you, as you know him, as you obey him, and as you uh, love him, it brings up love for God is the lordship. If you love me, keep my commandments. Whoever keeps my commandments is the one who loves me. Jesus was pretty clear about that in John chapter 14. Whoever loves my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me and the one who... So look at this word right here. It's, it's in both of our passages. Whoever keeps them. What does it mean to keep the commandments? Two main things. Two main things. The first one we would say to treasure. To treasure them. When you keep something that's valuable to you, you treasure it. So I just got to ask you an application question. Do you treasure God's word? Do you treasure his commands? Do you look at them like the uh, Jeremiah said, thy words were found and I did eat them and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I got so excited when I got into God's word. I treasure it. I keep it. That's the first one. The second one, it's actually a um, sailor's term. It's a term that Mariners would use as they're out on their boats. They didn't have the instrumentation that we have today. They didn't have GPS and all that goes into boating these days. But you know what they had? They had stars. They had the moon and the stars. And when a sailor was keeping the course, when he was keeping the ship, or they even use this term, keeping the stars... <laughs> I mean, you go, how can I keep the stars? They kept the stars in the, the motion. They knew where they were going because the stars were showing them north and south, east and west. Their direction was being kept by their keeping. That's the word that's here. That's the word that says, if we keep his commands, where it says, um, we Know him. It's the present one. If we keep his commands, are you using God's commands to orient your life? I mean, that's what treasuring it and orienting your life around it is keeping it. Whoever has my commands, that's good, and keeps them is the one who loves me. You see how those are connected? He wants you to love him by keeping and being in control, being controlled by his 
command. You are submitted to his leadership and you're loving God with that weight. I'm gonna read verse um, five again. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. So here's what, here's in, in a sentence, true Christians surrender to the lordship of Christ. True Christians, the birthmark, a kiss of an angel, is you trust, you submit to the lordship of Jesus. Now I know that's a challenging concept for our world. We want to have the easy believism of today, but lordship is truly a biblical concept, a biblical teaching that we need to resurrect and have on our mind. Well, this is similar but different. It's not the lordship, but it flows into it. It's the lifestyle. One is submitting to the lordship of Christ. In this case, it is we're seeking the model of Jesus. What do you want to do? How do you want to live your life? What's your life going to look like? I want my life to look like Jesus. I want his lifestyle to be lived out in me. I don't want to say if Jesus was present or, you know, what would Jesus do if he were here? No, he is here. He wants to do it through and in us. How are we going to seek the model, the example, the pattern of Jesus's life? So here's the word, Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. The lifestyle of Jesus. It's the character. It's the behavior. It's the attitudes, but more than that, it's what he did. How did he style his life? A couple of verses for us, just to jump into it. Whoever claims to live in him must what? Live as Jesus did. Underline as. The whole word, the whole concept here is wound up in that as. Live as Jesus did, as Jesus lived. 1 John 4, 17, real similar to it. It says, we are to walk. Remember we said walk or talk? <laughs> We're to walk as Jesus walked. Now, this has nothing to do with his physical gait. <laughs> it has everything to do with how he dealt with God, how he dealt with people, how he dealt with the world. We're talking about the lifestyle of Jesus and this passage brings out several things about his lifestyle. First of all, it's a lifestyle of honesty. The whole idea of being in light rather than in darkness has to do with transparency and authenticity. It has to do with honesty, right? Nothing is hidden from his sight. Let me read verses 6 through 8. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Okay, that's the banner. Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which we've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard, yet I am writing to you a new command. It's truth, catch that, it's truth is seen in him and in you. Truth isn't a concept to know in your head, it's a lifestyle to see lived out. He's saying, truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. 
Now, this word for new command here, it, it, it has to do with not new as in just appearing on the scene, but new as in fresh, packaged in a new way, newly presented, we would say. Okay? This isn't an old, you know, unheard of thing, but it's really seen in brand new light. It's shown to us in a brand new way. It's a lifestyle of honesty and purity. And it shows us this, this light. Because in God, there's nothing hidden. In Jesus, he was totally transparent. He was completely, ruthlessly honest. Not to hurt people's feelings, but to show them the truth. Two other places are real quick here. All who put his hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So brothers, sisters, do you have a goal of being honest and pure? Of letting God's purity flow through you to put, purify yourself just as, just as, that same word, as he is pure. Jesus calls me, he calls you to that kind of purity. This is the greatest and the commands. Now, when Jesus was asked by someone to summarize the scriptural commands, remember he was like, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, in a way that's nothing new, but in a way you see it packaged in a brand new way in the life in the embodiment of Jesus. You can look at Jesus and say, that's how that looks, both honesty and purity, and one more, righteousness. Jot that one down. It's a lifestyle of honesty. It's a lifestyle of purity. And it says that just as he is pure, we would exchange that word for righteous or for righteousness John, 1 John 3, 7 says, the one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. Righteousness comes from doing what he's asked, doing what he wants. So for lordship, you submit to the lordship of Christ. For lifestyle, it's you follow the example of Jesus his lifestyle. Do just what Jesus did. You know, the, uh, the whole idea of walking the way Jesus walked and doing what he says, uh, what's the book, In His Steps, where a whole town said, let's put into action that question, what would Jesus do under every circumstance and revolutionized both their fellowship and their community because the lifestyle of Jesus is impeccable. It's amazing. True Christians follow that lifestyle. Let's take the last one. <laughs> I made this up. The love style. It's like lifestyle, but it has to do with showing people Jesus' love. Showing and sharing his love with each other, with one another. I mentioned earlier the bold of the new and the old kind of being together. Jesus had a love style. 
John chapter 13, he goes with a basin of water and one by one by one, he washes the disciples' feet. And as you look at those disciples and you begin to think about how different, how difficult, how challenging it would be to love those individuals, even to wash Judas's feet, the one who would betray him, to wash Simon Peter's feet, the one who would deny him, to wash Thomas's feet, the one who would doubt him, to, to wash the who would d- display distrust and abandon him. And yet Jesus, what did he do? He had a love style that left no one out. No one was outside of the scope of his willingness to love them. And ultimately, we see where that love Landed where that love got him, and here's the. Uh, even if they're hard to hard to love, it says abide with him. What's the word abide mean? Live with, dwell with, embed yourself with. Jesus used it about the vine and the branches. You know, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me or remain in me. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. For you and I to see fruit in our lives, we've got to abide, dwell, live. Our responsibility isn't to behave in a certain way and and focus on behavior modification. Our responsibility is to embed ourselves and contain ourselves and to be so closely connected to the vine that the fruit is a natural outcome. Of that, we don't go. Oh, I got to produce some fruit, and out of sheer willing it to happen, try to make it happen. No, it's the opposite. We get the joy of abiding in Christ, and the fruit becomes the second nature. The fruit becomes the after effect. The fruit is because we're abiding. Are you catching that? We get to abide. What does a branch? What does a branch do? Just abides in the vine. The branch is somewhat passive. All the nutrients come through the vine. All the DNA, all the, the uh, aspect that's going to produce the fruit comes through the vine. A branch by itself, disconnected from the vine, does nothing, produces nothing. But if we abide, what's that mean? That means total commitment, embedded you understand that word? Being embedded in the vine. So with a branch, there's no, there's no side issues. <laughs> the branch just has one thing to do. Aren't you, aren't you glad that you don't have a ton of things to do? You just got one thing. Remain in Jesus. Connect with him. Stay connected with him. Devote yourself to time and love and energy in your relationship with him. And all the fruit the lifestyle we're talking about, the obedience, is second nature. It is going to happen. John 15, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you now. Now that you've seen my love. He says, remain in me, abide in me, stay close to me, don't forget me. Never let it go. Keep it in your mind. Keep it in your heart. Keep it before you. Abide in me. Look what he says. 
and remain in my love. Now remain, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, what's he say? My joy may be in you. See, we're not to live a Christian life with this, this concern and consternation on our mind. Always, I got to do, I got to do, I can't do, I got to do. No, we're to be having a, a relationship with him that leads to a joy and passion-filled life. Folks, we should be the most passionate, joy-filled people on the planet. It, it should be just, we have the passion, the joy of Jesus. The Old Testament says, it's predictive of Jesus. And then Hebrew repeats it. It says, he had been anointed with gladness more than all his other brothers. It's talking about Jesus. Now think about it for a minute. You our culture doesn't usually focus on this. Jesus was the happiest man on the planet. He says he was anointed with gladness, not a oh, lucky go easy kind of, but a deep abiding joy. He was anointed with gladness more than all of his brothers, more than anybody else who was alive at the time, and more than you and I. If we want to have, and if we have an abiding relationship with Jesus, we're going to be anointed with gladness as well. We're going to be overjoyed. You get that? Overjoyed. Not just joy-filled, but overjoy-filled. He says, you will remain in me, and my joy may be in you, and your joy may be made complete. Your joy may be made full. Your joy may be overfull. Now, I'm focused on that because the, the, the tendency for us to see it as a, as a labor and a to-do is so easy. Folks, it's not about to-do. It's about to-done. He's done it. And if you abide in him and, and keep that in your mind and your heart, the rest is easy. The difficult thing is abiding in him. It's not hard in, 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 in essence, but it's hard because we are selfish we want to run our own lives. We don't want to treasure him. Look what it says at the end of that. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. As I have loved you. When you abide in him, it can't help but get out in the community of believers. Love each other just as I have loved you. Abide in him fellow pastor tells a story of a Welch community where there was a, a preacher, well-known preacher at the time. Uh, and as uh, his name was, was Mr. Morehouse, Henry Morehouse. And uh, he came to this, this town and was doing a preaching series like used to be kind of popular evangelistic meetings. And as he was working through this one of the town reprobates, one of the fellows in the town that was just known for being evil, declared, if that pastor doesn't quit preaching, I'm going to go to his service and I'm going to pistol whip him. That tells you a few generations ago, right? This wasn't anything in today's world. But uh, he said, I'm going I'm to go there. And, and he, his reputation was, everybody knew he was, he'd probably do that. So as the church was uh, getting together that night, church was full. All of a sudden, the back door pops open, 
And in comes Ike Miller. And Ike, this retrobate, this evil man, this drunkard, this wife abuser, this child abuser, came in and sat down with his pistol in his hand. And everybody said, oh, brother, what is going to happen? And uh, Henry Morehouse, this pastor, didn't really preach on hellfire and damnation that night. You know what his verse was? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. And uh, he got done with his uh, pretty much hour-long sermon. And Ike Miller stood up, and everybody said, oh boy, here it goes. But he spun around, and he went out. He left the building. Everybody's like, whoa, didn't expect that. And as he walked down through town, some ladies that he'd known in an immoral way were calling out to him from the brothel. Hey, Ike, come here. And he just kept on walking. Some of his uh, bar friends were like, hey, about time you got here. And he just kept on walking. He got to his, literally was a little shack where he lived. Went inside and, and there his kids saw him and they thought he'd come home drunk again. So they ran and hid under the bed and, and their, their, their mom kind of put her skirt around the bed just to kind of hide them and she didn't know what to expect. And he said, come here. And he asked them to get down on their knees to pray. And just that one sermon on love had so affected him. He didn't know how to pray though. He started a prayer. He said, Lord, he didn't know what to say. He said, Jesus, and he couldn't keep going. Then he remembered from early in his life, when he was about five years old, a little prayer that he'd learned. Maybe you know this one. And he prayed this prayer out. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this little child. Forgive my simplicity and suffer me to come to thee. All he could remember was that his mother had embedded in his heart at an early, early age. And everybody was like, Henry Morehouse, why didn't you preach on hellfire and damnation? <laughs> what Ike needed was the thing we're talking about today, the love of God. It's the love of God that motivates us to repent it's the love of God that draws our hearts to him. It's the love of God that helps us obey. Not the, the beating of God, not the retribution of God, but the love of God. Oh, that we would dwell and abide. That's the word here today. Abide in his love. Abide in his grace. Abide in his mercy. What he needed was this huge dose of love, and that's what we all need regularly, every day, all the time. In fact, uh, <laughs> loving God and loving people. They are so intricately connected. He says, how can you, if you claim to be in the light but hate your brother and sister, what happens? What's the deal? You are still in the darkness. 
If you claim, think about it this way. He says, if you say you love God that you can't see, but you can't even get along with your brother that's right here in person, how does that make sense? It's a lot more difficult to love an invisible being like God when you can't even get along with the visible being of a human. He connects those together. Anyone who loves his brothers and sisters lives in the light. There is, there is nothing. It will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. So he's just saying love people. You can't hate and pretend to love. You can't hate God and you can't hate people. What did Jesus do on the cross? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. If there was ever a time when you would hate back, hate coming at you, what did Jesus do? Just the opposite. He loved instead, loved in spite, for God did so love the world. Love one another as I have loved you. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. You amaze us all the time. Thank you that you've called us to have the marks of being a true disciple. That we would have the marks of your lordship over us. We would submit to your lordship and people would see it, we'd see it. Everyone around us would see your lordship exhibited. Lord, would you allow us, cause us, and encourage us, not just about your, your lordship, but your leadership, your lifestyle, Lord, that we would be impacting the world as you did, that we would be little Christians, we would be little Christs running around everywhere, exuding and portraying the love that you have for people, the love that you have for each of us. And Lord, most of all, would you help our love style to grow, to burgeon? Would people see us as joy-filled lovers? of you, of the world, and of people. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' sweet name. Amen.